0: The Return of the King Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. He knew what was waiting for him at the end of his journey. He knew that he would be facing his death by crucifixion on the cross, but he went anyway. And as he got closer to Jerusalem, Jesus started telling the crowd a few parables with a common theme in them. They all had to do with the theme of a king coming to his kingdom, or an heir returning to claim his rightful inheritance. For example, in one parable, Jesus spoke about a nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. The story is told in Luke chapter 19. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minors, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. In another parable, Jesus spoke about a landowner who planted a vineyard and hired it out. When the time came to collect from the tenants, he sent his servants, one after another. But the evil tenants killed all of his servants. Finally, the man decided to send his only son. Reading from Luke 20, Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And then they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Last week we learned that Satan was a usurper. God had preordained all creation in the universe to be subject To his son Jesus. This included Satan, who, though was a powerful angel, was still a creature created by God. God is the owner of the vineyard, and Satan was a servant. But Satan wanted God's kingdom for himself, and so he deceived Adam and Eve. We can think of Adam and Eve as tenants in God's garden. Satan told Adam and Eve that they could be like God if they eat from the tree forbidden by God. Adam and Eve were tempted and disobeyed God's word. And when they did so, they became enslaved to Satan. The rule and order of this kingdom became subverted. A creature now received the glory and worship meant for the Creator. If the people who were created in God's image bowed down to worship the dragon and its beasts, It would be as if God himself were bowing down and submitting to Satan, thereby subverting the order in God's kingdom. Therefore, God's glory and his honor was tarnished as a result of sin. Satan thought he scored a victory when he got Jesus crucified by wicked and evil men. But here's the irony. It was on the cross that Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus the King came to Jerusalem to inherit his kingdom, and the cross was his coronation. By dying on the cross, Jesus redeemed for himself a group of people that would follow him single-mindedly, the 144,000 who were sealed with his name and the name of his Father. Welcome again to this sermon series in the book of Revelation. We pick up the story from Revelation chapter fourteen. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. By now it had become clear that there were two groups of people in this cosmic drama, acted out for John to witness. One group belonged to Satan, because they have received the mark of the beast. We read about them in Revelation chapter 13. The other group were the people who belonged to Jesus, described here beginning with chapter 14. This isn't the first time we meet the 144,000. We've met them before in Revelation chapter 7. It's worth noting that different words were used to describe the two different kinds of marking, the beasts and the lamb's. The word describing how the beast marked his people suggested that the people were branded like cattle branded with a sign to mark ownership. It didn't matter who the people who belonged to the beast were individually. What was important was that they were property, like slaves belonging to Satan. Without the branding, the people couldn't trade in the world controlled by Satan. On the other hand, Two words were used to describe the sealing of God's people, both associated with writing. The first is a word that is used when a person writes a document, then seal it with his or her personal insignia. It's like a signature. It could also impart authority and protection. The second word used here in chapter 14 is the word for writing. Therefore, there is a vast difference between Satan's branding of his people and God's writing his names on those he loves. Satan marked his people with a number. Only prisoners and slaves have numbers. God's children have names. God's names were written on them, and their names were written into the family tree, the Lamb's Book of Life. A quick application here, if I may. Choose your friends wisely. There are those who might look like they are friendly, but who view you ultimately as property. It might take some time, but soon you'll realize that you're only there to make them look good, just like the people who receive the mark of the beast. But real friends value you as a person created in God's image. It is my prayer that we as members of Christ's church here at Epping Presbyterian Church are genuine and real to each other, and that we develop deep friendship with each other. Choose who you want to follow wisely. Satan does not have your well-being and interests at heart. Don't follow him. We follow Satan when we follow the values and ways of this world. This is what John say in 1 John 2.15, Choose to follow Jesus and make sure you stay in fellowship with people who are like-minded. God is our real friend. He created you and He loves you. Repent and return to Him and your name will be written in His family tree. Chapter 14 opens with this glorious scene of the King who had returned to His realm with His chosen ones, the people who followed the Lamb single-mindedly even though they suffered for that. Looking at the scene, I am reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8 about the glory to be received by God's people at the end of time. Paul wrote in Romans 8, reading from verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The 144,000 represents the revelation of the sons of God at the end of time. Here is a glorious picture of the Lamb and the people He had redeemed. What happens next is somewhat surprising. The trumpet has sounded. The bees have been unleashed and a battle between good and evil was anticipated. But what we discover next is not a battle. To put it candidly, it looked more like a choir practice. Yes, that's right. The 144,000 were learning to sing a new song. I know it sounds anticlimax, but it's not. Here is what some people might have gotten the idea from, that heaven is this boring place where we all sit around in the clouds and kumbaya with our harps, nothing could be further from the truth. Believe me, you would want to be there to experience the euphoria on this occasion, when the sons of God are being revealed. It is a glorious scene, with many people but one voice, singing one song, celebrating the victory of Jesus. Come with me to verse 2 of chapter 14. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpies playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. At first it seems like there is just one voice or sound coming out of heaven, loud and thunderous. But as John continued to listen, the loud sound took on the characteristic of being music. Mingled with the voices with the sound of music harpies playing their harps. Then we discover that actually they were singing a new song. And it wasn't just the 144,000, but the entire throne room was singing in unison. The scene now opened up to include the throne room where the four living creatures and the 24 elders who possessed harps, something that we might have noticed before but didn't connect the implications until now. Now this must be quite a choir. What an awesome scene to behold if you can indeed imagine it. The closest I can come to imagining the scene is to visualize a stadium filled with passionate soccer fans singing as one. A sea of people, but one voice, one song. And it's not a war cry, but a victory song. Even before the battle began. Later, we are informed that the 144,000 and the four living creatures and the 24 elders were singing a new version of the Song of Moses. This is in Revelation 15, verse 2 and 3. The Song of Moses was a song of victory, which the Israelites sang after they crossed over the Red Sea. Pharaoh had enslaved God's people for 400 years, but God rescued them. When Pharaoh pursued the Israelites to engage them in battle, there was no battle between Israel and Egypt, for the battle belonged to the Lord. Pharaoh and his armies drowned in the water, but God's people were safely delivered. And so it shall be again this time. And so even before the actual battle, which will take place in chapter 19, God's people were already singing the victory song. That's because the battle belonged to Jesus, and Jesus had already defeated the enemy. And so, with one voice, they sang the song of Moses. It's a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah described when the Messiah shall come again to Zion. Isaiah 35, verse 10 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Revelation 14 is the fulfillment of this prophecy. The 144,000 join the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and who knows how many more angelic beings to sing the victory song of the Lamb. The time has come to take a closer look at the 144,000 and answer the questions that we have regarding them. Who are these 144,000? Are the Jehovah Witnesses right to say that only 144,000 people get to go to heaven in the end? Have a look at verse 3. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. First thing we notice that the 144,000 were people purchased or redeemed by Jesus. So we know that the 144,000 were humans, not angelic beings. Twice we are told that they were purchased or redeemed out of among mankind, once in verse 3 and then again in verse 4. The point is this. The 144,000 were once enslaved by the dragon. Once they were property of the enemy, but now they have been redeemed. Jesus bought them for himself with his blood. These 144,000 were liberated from Satan's power. They don't belong to Satan anymore. They belong to Jesus. Next, we note that the 144,000 were virgins. It is said that these have not defiled themselves with women. This verse is difficult to comprehend. The most literal reading suggests that the 144,000 remain unattached to the opposite sex so that they might remain pure. It's important to note that the Bible does not view sex as impure in the right context. Sex within marriage is holy, but sexual immorality and adultery is not. These 144,000 were beyond reproach in this area. They chose to remain single. Neither does this verse justify clergy or pastor to be celibate by church law. That practice does not have any support in the Bible, and it leads to many abuses in the church that brings disrepute to the name of Jesus. The third description of the 144,000 reinforced their single-mindedness. So first we know that they belong to Jesus, they are human. Next we know that they were virgins, and lastly, they're single-minded about following the Lamb. The 144,000 follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Again, this should be what every Christian need to do, to follow Jesus wherever He leads. And so the 144,000 are not unique in this sense. So who are the 144,000? Are they special Christians? Are they only single men? I wish I could tell you confidently that the answer is straightforward, but it is not. Therefore, what follows is my hypothesis. I offer it so that we can look beyond the number itself to the broader concept behind it. What caught my attention is the description of the 144,000 as the first fruits for God and the Lamb and Encyclopedia of the Bible has this definition of first fruits. Firstborn child or animal or first parts of any crop which, in Hebrew thought, were considered as holy and belonging to the Lord. The first fruits, as a foretaste of more to come, were offered to God in thanksgiving for His goodness in providing them. And so the idea behind the offering of the first fruits is that it is offered to God with thanksgiving in anticipation of more of the harvest to come. Therefore, the 144,000 were not the only ones to be saved by Jesus at the end of time. They were the first fruits. The harvest is coming. The Jehovah Witness is wrong on this point. The 144,000 anticipates a bigger harvest in due season. This fits in with what we saw about the 144,000 back in chapter 7 of Revelation, when John saw the multitudes from every tongue, tribes, and nation. We now have what it takes to interpret the rest of chapter 14. Let me conclude and bring things to a focus. If the 144,000 is just the beginning of a bigger harvest at the end of time, then it makes sense for John and for us to be encouraged to keep preaching the gospel, which is what we see in the next section in this chapter. This is the message of the three angels preaching the eternal gospel to the nation. For judgment is coming and the time for reaping the harvest is near. Therefore, we are to fear God and know that Satan is going to be judged and know that those who worship Satan will be judged with him. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink the wine of passion, of her sexual immorality. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Pour full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever received the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We don't have the time to unpack the rest of the chapter, but we got through the hardest part. The rest could now be unpacked because along with the imagery of the first fruits comes the imagery of the harvesting. Those who belong to Him, those who belong to Jesus will be saved first and the remaining will be judged and punished. We'll pick up the message of judgment next Sunday. For now... Let me finish with the final encouragement for the followers of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This message is not for the future. This message is for the present because the king has now been installed in Jerusalem, in Zion. Blessed are those who die following the Lamb. The voice of heaven, which was singing the song of victory of the Lamb at the start of this chapter, now speaks the benediction for us today. Blessed are you if you die in the Lord today. For you shall rest, and your deeds done for Jesus will not be forgotten. The 144 inspire us to keep enduring in our walk with Jesus. It's just like the song we learned to sing when we were younger. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Thanks for listening to this sermon. See you next week.